really finding a mentor who can just take you by the hand and walk you through this stuff, you know, that's how you're going to get there. Lots of people say to me, oh, just patience and prayer. And I'm like, how's that working for you? (laughs) Hi, I'm Sarah, and I'm in the midst of a 52-week challenge to try to get rid of Sonderlust and find happiness in my life. I guess I should stop saying I'm in the midst of... I'm rounding the corner coming towards the end. Lots of things have happened. I would suggest that if you're just joining us, that you go back to the start and listen to the whole challenge. We are two months towards the end. Two months left for me to prove that I can love the life that I currently have. Now, one of the areas that we began with a huge challenge in was for me to, yep, start dating again. And I did. I was faithful to the challenge. I did it. And then it went awry. It didn't go so well. It was very hurtful. And I have been licking my wounds for a while. Turns out, a lot of people think I need to get back in the saddle. I'm a little nervous about it. And I'm a little afraid that I can't do it on my own. I was trying to avoid actually even talking about it again on the show, but you know what? I just was at a conference and a festival, and everywhere I go, people ask me, hey, how's the dating life going? I guess it's something that a lot of people struggle with and a lot of people care about. So how do I plan to start dating again? Well, what I've noticed about myself is that it takes other people prodding me in this particular area of my life. I think I'm still of that generation that feels like it should just happen naturally and the idea of like online dating or getting help with your dating life seems crazy. But recently, I've had two encounters with folks. The first one I'm going to share with you, uh, it's a little out of the ordinary, to say the least. As a Christian pastor, the idea that I would listen to my friends read my tarot card seems a little, well, crazy. But my friend Kevin has trained in tarot card reading and believes that he does it through the Holy Spirit. So since I promised you that this year I would be open to anything, I'm going to let you hear that. And what you'll notice is that, once again, the idea of my dating life holding me back comes across even in the cards. To follow that up, you're going to hear a conversation between me and Lisa Shield. Lisa Shield is a dating coach in LA. She's currently finishing up her first book called Naked Dating. My friend ran into me and wanted to share with me that she herself had just found someone really special in her life. She is also a very successful 30-something, and so I asked her how exactly she went about it, and she shared with me that she used a dating coach. Now, since this year I've been open to things like having a health coach, I thought, what the heck, let me call and hear more about her. Turns out she was just as excited to chat with me, and so we chatted, and I thought you'd want to take a listen. This is the lovely... Kevin Garcia. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Kevin and I have been at a, a festival, really. It's yeah. not like even a conference. Yeah, it's a festival. This one was Celebración, people. It That's was a- Spanish for celebration. <laughs> it was so much fun. How many days were we here? We got here Wednesday, Wednesday night. Wednesday, Friday. So basically four nights. Four nights. Four nights and like three-ish days. Because we got here early because we're those kinds of peeps. But yeah, it was at the Wild Goose Festival, which if you don't know what that is, it's like a 
uh, music, art, social justice oriented, spirit filled festival full of a bunch of Jesus hippies, uh, uh, progressive millennials, nuns and duns, a lot of beer. A lot of beer. A lot of beer. Um, or for me, some wine. Ding, ding. Yeah, we nailed that. We did. It was fun. Had a great time. Would do Danced again. a lot. There was a thing called a silent disco. Oh, my God. It where was. you put on earphones and the DJ, everyone can hear, but... So what it is, is like the, the DJ has like a radio transmitter and mm-hmm. everyone's wearing headphones that has a radio receiver on them. And so when you take the headphones off, it just looks like a bunch of weird people with headphones like dancing to the same beat and singing along to something that you can't hear. But you put on the headphones, you're transported into another world. Yeah, it's so fun. So it's like responsible for people around you who are sleeping and the sound ordinances in the area, which is why they do the sound of disco, not a regular just like DJ party. Yeah, I love it. So I actually kind of like it more because it makes it... And also, you can just take when the song sucks, which in my perfect world, um, they would stop playing all country music at dance parties unless it was Casey Musgraves. <laughs> I know that you had a favorite. Um, oh my gosh. Or Trixie Mattel, but Trixie Mattel's not dance music. What about Dixie Chicks? Uh, I'm not ready to make nice. Okay. I'm not ready to back down. So, Kevin is uh, about to go to seminary. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? It is interesting, and I kind of love it. But he also has this... How long have you been doing this? Um, I have been reading tarot cards for about a year and a half. And I was super weirded out when I heard about it. And I was like raised in an experience and like a tradition that said that anything outside of the Christian norm, like which was like, how you talk to God is read your Bible, pray, and just, you know, let, it, let the Lord just speak to you in your everyday life. Um, which to me sounds a lot like intuition, just mm-hmm. like letting God speak to you, which is like to being open to what God is saying. And uh, I wasn't as, I used to like run in like uh, Pentecostal circles. Mm-hmm. So it was all a lot about like your prophetic giftings, your manifest gifts, gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, and that to me um, sounds just as weird <laughs> now in hindsight. Uh, but I have a friend of mine who um, is a spiritual energy healer. And when I heard that, I said, that sounds like a bunch of hooey bunch of bullshit i'm just like <laughs> and what she said is just like well just try it sit down with me do a session and if it's good for you then great you had something wonderful happen and if not then nothing happened and your life is totally the same and so i said you know what you're right i should just at least be open to it because uh what's the worst that could happen nothing because no weapon formed against me shall stand or prosper because i am protected by the holy ghost and like I used to be huge into the whole demonic warfare and spiritual warfare thing, which, like, I'm still trying to sort out what I think about that. Mm -hmm. But in the session that I did with my friend, she basically just used her intuition and a few other tools in order to just kind of say what she felt God was saying in the moment. And it was one of the most healing experiences I've ever had. I, she touched on traumas that I haven't dealt, hadn't dealt with before. She touched on a lot of sadness that I was refusing to face and um, I got a lot of clarity about stuff. And so I said, okay, I just felt the Holy Ghost in something other than a Christian context. What do I do with that? Um, which is, was weird. And so I said, I, I was always curious about it because I just wanted to know more. So what I did was uh, I purchased my first tarot deck and a little guidebook. Started reading the meetings, started learning my different spreads, started reading books about... Um, the practice and tradition of, of tarot reading and like how people have 
read it throughout the ages, how it's come up in multiple different religious practices throughout history, and um, kind of have been using it as a tool for myself for spiritual development, for interrogating my own intentions Ooh. around certain things. Um, because one, I would say a really good tarot reading doesn't, you don't read it, it reads you. <laughs> reads you for filth. <laughs> Which oftentimes, like when I'm reading it for myself, I'm just like, my shut up what do you know okay god what do you know okay and for and for me also just like using tarot is basically just a tool for the divine to speak back to us and if we can be honest with what we see in in readings um we can uh then address the things that we need to take care of to become closer to ourselves and mean thus closer to god um, i yeah so i asked you to do one for me, and I didn't come from a tradition that like thought it was of the devil or anything like that. But that's so interesting because I think all Christians think it's of the devil, and it's really not. I know. Well, yeah. anything that's like, I mean, I have friends who can't do yoga. Oh right! <laughs> because I also practice yoga. So <laughs> there's you that. work at a yoga studio. I work at a yoga studio. I wear flowy pants. I ohm and all those other things. And I ohm. And I ohm at the end of class. So. Um, I think you can use anything to be a holy and sacred. There's no difference between sacred and ordinary. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I think it's really interesting. So you read these cards actually the other night, and I asked you to kind of redo it again so that we could Mm -hmm. hear it on the podcast because it's super interesting. Yeah. What I thought was really, really cool about this was um, I love reading for my friends specifically because I have a little bit more context about their lives. I feel like I'm able to better intuitively, I don't know. Yeah. I, I just feel just like I can, like, when I when I feel like a, something come up, because, like, I use the cards in front of me, but then I'm also, like, listening to my own intuition around what they're saying, and I'm just kind of, like, letting, I like to think of, like, an open flow between me and the Holy Spirit just to say, like, this is the thing I'm feeling, and I totally could be off, but uh, I did a bunch of tarot readings over the weekend for random strangers, and let me tell and, like, you what, baby. And, like, Bible scholars and, like... Oh, yeah. All these people. For biblical scholars, for pastors, for all sorts of different people. And I'm just like, let me sit down and let me do this with you. And I'm not saying I had tears every time, but I had tears, tears eight and- out of ten times. <laughs> nice. Um, so, yeah. It's, yeah, it made me teary because, yeah. There, so, I just go through it and then we'll talk about it. Yeah. So I did this thing that I call like a season spread, um, which is a seven card spread with a card in the middle, which is called the Signifactor, um, which means it's like, this is kind of like what the question or what the whole spread is talking about. And what I do rather than reading each individual card and its individual meaning, I read the whole thing as a story, which um, is what they're all trying to do. Um, So in the very center of the spread, we have a very young woman. She has this very uh, young ambition and she feels ready for something new. She has all the potential in her hands. What I love about this card in particular is that uh, pinnacles or coins, as some different decks put it, is about our resources, our connection to the world around us, to our ability to generate cash flow and money, things like that. Um, Things about job, business. And so as someone, when I'm looking at, when I saw that, I was like, yeah, that was like, there was a feeling of trepidation. Like Mm -hmm. you feel like you're too young, too inexperienced, even though you have a track, a proven track record Mm -hmm. of being able to hold on to your resources, create those things, network well, and uh, not screw it up. 
So moving around in the circle, it starts at the very top left, and on the top left we have a Five of Pentacles. And the Five of Pentacles, again, kind of like the season of where we've come from and where we are now, is an Ace of Swords. Um, an ace uh, in any suit, regardless of what it is, is basically the divine coming in and giving us kind of what we need in that moment. So that the, ve the very beginning of a journey. And swords um, in the suit cards have to do with the mind and thoughts, um, everything to do with decision making and um, the way our thought processes run. And so when I see an ace of swords in the present season, um, the thing I see is that you are in the season of God is giving you a new way of thinking about things, a new way of redoing your thought processes, a new way of beginning to kind of like cut through the bullshit, mm -hmm. if you will. But again, it, it's all undergirded by everything else. And then moving into kind of the thing that, um, that you can't the, see, the or, um, the uh, but it's inverted or reversed. And strength um, from the major arcana is basically talking about how to tame our own uh, inner world, our inner strength, like take the things that we have and allow them to be uh, used for good in many ways. So when it's reversed, I look at strength and like what I, what I see in, in light of the rest of the reading is that you have a lot of trouble trusting your own power, your own voice, your own spirit that you know is inside of you. You have a tiger inside <laughs> of you. But it's one of those things that you haven't quite learned how to uh, rein in and or a woman sitting at the very beginning of a path. And there's eight cups and they're, they're, li they're lined up and they're all empty. Um, cups have to do with relational, emotional energy, our relationships with other people, our relationship to ourselves, and how we're pouring ourselves out into other people versus them pouring into us. <laughs> My cups are empty. <laughs> um, and then what's interesting though, so like the eight of cups is basically saying when it's right side up is saying this is the beginning of a new journey. You're, it's, it may hurt a little bit. It might be new and a little scary, but the sun is setting on the things right now. And it's time for, for one to pass these things and move on to the next part of their journey journey, next part of their season, whatever that may be for them. Um, and this one is reversed also, which means I think that the thing that's like binding you right now might be the fact that you're just not quite over your ex. Yeah, I think um, it's more like, like, just like if these are like prophetic words, I would also want to leave with hope. And this said, oh, this just gave me so much hope to look at. So particularly the thing that surrounds you right now is a nine of pentacles. And in this deck, it's a card that features a beautiful peacock and has a nine pentacles or nine coins in her wings. It's floral. It's beautiful. And what this thing speaks of is it's a feminine energy. It's a Ooh. powerful feminine energy. Somebody who has culti like knows how to cultivate her own resources, knows how to take care of herself in a way that also like everyone else can see it. And the thing I really felt strongly from this card was that there is a beauty and a power and a professionalism that you possess that everyone in the world can see. And that I, uh, I think it was something that's just like, that's something that like you have trouble seeing yourself is how beautiful of a person you are. We have it reversed. Like you are the hanged woman. Uh, in this depiction, she has suspended herself from like circus silks. Mm -hmm. Like you would see, like people flying around doing all those beautiful tricks. But the reason she's done this is not because necessarily that she's a performer, because she is, um, but pretty much because she wanted to turn herself upside down so she could see the world from a new perspective. So, being that this is a card from the major arcana and it's reversed. It's like there is this way that you need to start changing your perspective mm. on things in the world when you're approaching your work, when you're approaching other people, when you're approaching um, 
even this whole challenge thing you have. I think there's a, a way of starting to look at things from a, a new perspective that maybe you haven't been able to tap into. So like the invitation right there is rest and the same thing over the hang. And then the final thing, I, I pulled two cards on the hermit because I just really wanted to be super clear. And we got the king of coins and we got the lovers. King of coins is uh, somebody who knows how, again, they're seasoned in what they do. They are uh, able to cultivate their stuff. They have a structure built for themselves that is safe. And so I think the thing I've been, I picked up on that one is just like being able to trust that the money is going to come from somewhere. The resources are going to come from somewhere. And it's because you are somebody who can hold it. Like in this situation, is it's a powerful, yeah, it's sort of like a more powerful masculine energy, but it doesn't have to necessarily be from a man. It just comes from this position of being a very strong individual. And you being a very strong-minded individual, you even said it yourself. It kind of like sometimes you feel like it intimidates other people. Um, but that's not so something to be scared I think it's saying just like, in what ways can I love myself? In what ways can I be kind to myself? In what ways can I make sure that I'm getting my needs met, filling up that relational energy um, in a way that is not just like, I love myself because it's the thing I'm supposed to do, but I love myself because God loves me. Mm. I love myself because God has given me a very specific thing to do in this world. And I love myself because I am worthy. Mm. The whole spread, the thing that I was getting out of all of this is that you are, yes, you are embarking on a new season. Yes, things are new. Yes, things are scary. Yes, you still have shit to work through. Mm -hmm. And the thing that's going to bring you successfully into and through this new season is learning how to slow down a bit. Learning how to rest in your own strength that God has given you. Um, rest and like allow your mind to be kind of shifted in new ways mm. and allow that rest to be the thing that's restorative to you so that you're not um, that you're not running around feeling like you don't ever have enough. Oh, I love it. Well, thank you for doing that for me. I loved it so much. It was a joy. I loved it too. And if, uh, if you need tarot reading, y'all, hit me up. That would be fun. I'll do it over Skype. It'll be fun. That was Kevin's read of everything, his eerily accurate tarot card reading read. I don't know how I feel about it. I definitely don't know how I feel about tarot cards, but it was helpful. So what does an actual dating expert have to say? Here's my conversation with Lisa Shield. I love sunsets, like I'm obsessed with them. And so I will go all the way to, uh, <laughs> to Corona Del Mar and sit and watch the sunset. And I see all these adorable couples and I think they all just kind of, it just happened for them. And I wonder why for me, I seem to keep, but maybe it is that I need to work through stuff. I mean, part of it too, for me is being a pastor and having very limited resources and um, having a huge platform and audience, but also not having, like, I don't know how, yeah, I don't know how to do this thing. I thought I did. And I thought like that was just a normal part of humanity. Like, you know, people just figured out the dating thing, but it seems more and more magic the more I spend time with people. <laughs> it's, you know, here's what's happened. It, it is magical. Like it's the, it's magical because it's the most, I mean, it's literally the closest thing to having God in your, I mean, to really experiencing the pure love of God in, you know, through another human being. Like when you, when you find 
true unconditional love with another person, right? Mm-hmm. It's the closest thing to God in this in this life because when two people, Sarah, come together in a in a re- it really bond, whether consciously or whatever, you know. But when you really do this with somebody, and for me, it was and my husband, it was extremely conscious. And as you do this, you li- literally let go. I mean, in order to have a real union, a, re- a true full union with another human being, you have to let go of your separate self, your separateness, and you have to become one with another person, right? That's really what a true marriage, like in its deepest, deepest senses, in its most profound sense, right? And so... Um, that is the most extraordinary thing. Now, people get to very different levels of that, right? Like some people can only get to companionship and some people get to this true unconditional soul bonding that my husband and I have. But there's, you know, there's a whole range in between that. The problem is everybody wants the soul bonding. They want what Benjamin and I have. This is what they're longing for, right? But they don't know how to get there. They don't know how to do this. They don't know how to get there. They don't know even if they didn't, you know, they don't even know the work that they need to do to get there. Does that make sense? Yeah. But they totally. want it. They want it. And they make it look so easy in a Disney fairy tale, you know. I know. And that's my problem. I think <laughs> I think the harder it has been to get, the more enticing it used to be. So when I say that my uh, ex, that's weird to call him that, but my ex wasn't my type, it was because he was really open and honest in the start of like, yeah, I really like you. And that was so, I was used to the aloof and the like, whatever, the shiniest one in the room who knew that all the girls were interested in him. And so it was this weird transference of uh, importance. If like, you know, the most desirable guy in the room was interested in me, then that somehow gave me worth. And that's just absolutely not true. But I think it comes from a place that I really need to work on. And so I think the idea of coaching is so fascinating. That's why I wanted to kind of have you on the podcast and have you kind of chat. By the way, I'm recording this. I hope you're okay with that. Oh, sure. I didn't know, but that's totally fine. Yeah, yeah. I'm recording this because I really would like to share you with the world because I don't think people know that uh, there is coaching available for this or work to work through uh, this stuff. Sarah, let me ask you a question. Do you ever think of, of, of like, when you think of all of your parishioners, is that what you would call them? Or what do you call your, your mm-hmm. audience is parishioners? So when you think of your parishioners and you think of yourself, you know, as a pastor, do you ever stop and think about how it would transform you and take your work to a whole different level when you or how it will take your work to a whole different level when you achieve this, when you actually achieve love and partnership in your own life? I think so. I mean, I do think about it. I think about, um, so when I was kind of headed towards marriage uh, a couple of years ago, actually six, a while ago, uh, when he left, it was so hard for the community even because they'd fallen in love with him too. And so I think about like the people who think, oh, you know, Sarah talks about this loving God um, and Sarah has been very faithful and done all these things, but look at how her life looks. 
And I don't think people are, are judgmental or, um, but I feel, I feel a little bit like a disappointment for folks because they look at my life and it hasn't in any way, shape or form been a fairy tale. Um, I'm grateful for how I got here. I'm grateful for the fact that, you know, being single at my age has meant I've gotten to do a lot of things that, you know, once you have a person or a family, you don't get to do. Um, cause you do have to consider the other person. So yeah, I think about it. I think about how, um, yeah, I think about the ways that I could be a more present person, um, that I could feel, you know, cause I, I come home and I come home to my life, uh, meaning that I have, I remember this one speaker said that, uh, you know, we need to really realize that single people still have a household. They still have all the chores that other people have, but they don't have a partner to do it with. So a lot of people are like, oh, you're so lucky to be single. And I'm like, you know, you, you don't have to worry about kids or that kind of stuff. I said, like, yeah, but if the oil needs to be changed, the dry cleaning picked up, all these other things, I still have to do all that and work full time and figure out how I'm going to eat um, and where I'm going to eat. And now add to that that I'm supposed to be out there dating and finding someone to partner with in all of this. Um, and it does, it feels overwhelming. So I think about that for sure, my parishioners, and I wonder what they think about it because it is quite unique. Um, I don't really look like a pastor either, and so I know that it's a <laughs> bizarre world, you know, um, and I I realize my weird niche that I'm in, and so I want to give hope to people, and I want my life to be an example, um, but I don't know how to do it with integrity, and I don't know. So that's why I started the podcast, I guess, was like I wanted people to hear about the reality and the struggles. And it's been crazy. Like I get letters all the time of people just saying like, um, our life stories are very different, but I know exactly how you feel. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think, I don't know. I just think it would be an amazing thing to, you know, just for you and for your audience, um, just to go through this and have it go through the journey of really, finding partnership and what that looks like. It's actually the most spiritual, like the, the most spiritual journey of all, as far as I'm concerned, is the search for a partner. Yeah. It's really a journey of, I believe it's a journey of you actually um, falling in love with yourself, right? Like really falling in love with, with yourself as you go through the dating process so like when you talk about these men who have hurt you and disappointed you and shattered you in some in some very real and devastating ways it's being able to see like keep coming back to who you are Sarah and not letting anybody take that away you know and to keep going for your dream and learning how not to take those things personally as you keep going for that does that make sense? That totally makes sense. Actually, that's a, the one thing that has been universal to all the guests I've chatted with. So for me, my dating life used to be something I never talked about um, because it was my private life. And as a pastor, we're supposed to put forward the shiny version of a human. And uh, it was just much easier for people not to know what was going on in the background. And I still don't share details and whatnot, but it was almost embarrassing for me to admit that that part of my life I have absolutely not under control. Um, and I think it was easier to kind of uh, really get involved in my friends' lives instead of really focusing on mine. 
And so part of the process, all these different people that I've talked to, which has been really fun. I talked to uh, a girl who's actually the head of the, um, it's like a satisfaction and it's sexuality and relationship clinic. She's a PhD who studies why people stay satisfied in relationship. And uh, she was incredible. But I, I think part of what we talked about was really this deep self-love that you have to have where you don't expect your partner to be everything for you because you're already like, yeah, I'm good. And so the balance for me is as I'm learning how to love myself more, which is for sure happening. Like it's, it's sometimes I don't, I look back and I think this year I haven't changed at all. And then people will be like, no, listen to this episode. You really have. Um, so I feel like I've, I'm learning how to do self-love and I'm learning how to be a pretty well, I've always been a really independent person. And so how do you balance that is the big question of how do I love myself well and yet make space for someone else? And I think that's a big challenge, right? What does self-love mean to you and how do you get self-love? Do you know? Uh, Yeah. So I've been working with, uh, actually my health coach and I addressed this. Uh, It was one of the things we've been working on. Um, Little things like looking in the mirror and choosing one thing a day that I like about Um, myself. So um, outside compliments don't, uh, don't go into my soul for whatever reason. I think um, I was a cute little kid. Uh, People have often commented on the way I look. And so I think I've got that sense of like, yeah, but people just say that to be nice. I I don't feel necessarily always attractive, even though, um, you know, those are comments people, other people make. So learning how to see that for myself, see like, hey, actually, yeah, you're 37, but you're also in great shape and um, those kind of things. So part of that was learning how to love my external self. Um, part of it was like actually doing the work to realize like, yeah, you have ADHD, which doesn't make you broken. Um, it just means you had to figure out how to, you know, manage that. And so learning to love even those parts of myself, um, she got me to do some exercises where, um, I actually talk about the things I like about myself, which is, it's hard when you've been trained to, always be humble, which sometimes we think being humble means uh, not liking ourselves. I think I understood it that way. I was always afraid of being too superficial or too into myself. And so self-love has been kind of relearning that it's okay to say like, yeah, I'm actually pretty great. Um, But yeah, that's so far all I've done. And it's kind of worked. I also had friends uh, send me affirmations every week and some of that like sunk in, but some of it hasn't. I think I'm definitely in a place where I like myself a lot better than I ever have. But I also think um, I feel very unpartnerable um, because it does feel like my life is pretty big and I'm a big personality in some ways. And I've always shrunk in order to fit into relationships. So now that I feel okay with like, you know, like I like this big part of me and I don't want to shrink as I look at moving into relationships. So yeah, that's what would your tips be for learning how to self-love? I think that self-love more than anything comes from the way we talk to ourselves, the way our loving, compassionate adult side talks to that scared little child. And so when we feel emotion, you know, embarrassed, ashamed, afraid, um, rejected, you know, it's the way that it's the way that the loving, compassionate Um, You might call it your higher self or whatever, but the way that part of you talks to the part of you that's scared. Mm. 
So to me, it's that inner dialogue that creates the bond inside of ourselves. So um, when you're looking in a mirror and you're looking for things that you like about yourself, you're really talking to that little girl. You know, you're you're telling her she's beautiful. You're telling yourself when you speak it aloud to other people, right? You're really, you may be saying it to them, right? But that part of you that wants to like yourself, that little girl, you know, that wants to be happy and proud and feel good, she's getting all the, you know, the good feedback, the good feelings from that. So it's really, I do a process, Sarah, with my clients um, that I um, learned when I was getting my master's in spiritual psychology. We we did a, non, a, a non-dominant handwriting process and so we could talk to that little girl. It could be anything, right? That you could name that voice, whatever it is. And it's almost like a gestalt where you, um, like, I don't know if you've ever done a gestalt where you sit in one chair and you're you, and then you sit yeah. in the other chair and you're, you're your mother, right? And you go back and forth and you have a dialogue. Well, this is where you can actually do that by yourself and you can self-process. So let's say you want to talk, let's say you get like go on a date or you get stood up by a guy or you get ghosted, right? And you're really hurt. Like it's really sad that that little girl who wants a little boy to play with, right? Mm-hmm. She's like really hurt and she can't understand why this little, this boy doesn't want to play with her. And so she's devastated. And often we have this voice that I call your frenemy, right? And your frenemy is sitting there going, well, of course he doesn't want to play with you. Look at you. You know, you don't, you're this and you're that and you're not good enough. You're not this enough. And so the frenemy usually just beats up that little girl. And so what you do is you do this non-dominant handwriting process to strengthen that voice, that loving, compassionate voice. In my paradigm, with my with my program, my coaching program, I call those voices. So you have your frenemy, you have your mad adolescent, like mad adolescent, because most of us, when we're date, we're like fifteen year old teenagers, right? So you oh, have yeah. your mad adolescent, and then so that's the emotional part of you, your frenemy, your mad adolescent, and then you have what I call your naked dater, and your naked dater is your higher self, and so we're trying to switch the voice that you're tuning into from the frenemy to the naked dater. And so when you do the non-dominant handwriting, you write back and forth, you know, to the scared little voice, this adolescent, and you say, you know, what's wrong? What, why are you so scared? You know, what can I do for you? And then you put the pen in the other hand, your non-dominant hand, and you answer And so when you dialogue, it's way more powerful than journaling. It is so much more transformational. People don't want to do it because it takes time and it's deeply emotional, but you can get real catharsis and it it trains you to start to have that inner dialogue I was talking about, right? Yeah, I think it's so helpful to think of that, like what our reactions when we get in a in a dating situation. I think for me, I <laughs> confession time. I've lied to my friends about, oh yeah, I'm doing Bumble, which for me just means I'm scrolling through. I don't actually go on dates. I I hate dating. And some people love it. They love like 
I people form attachments to me really quickly. I hate telling people it's not working for me. So it's like almost to avoid that telling people that it's not working for me. I um I guess that's my adolescent. I don't go on dates. Well, I think, you know, that fear of hurting somebody is not your higher self because the most loving act you can do is to set someone free if you can't give them what they want, Mm. right? It is the single, it is the most loving thing you can do. It's actually, um, you wouldn't want somebody like not being honest with you out of pity or because they're not courageous enough to just say, I don't think we're a match, right? Mm -hmm. And you're not going to, You're not going to be a match for everybody and everybody isn't going to be a match for you. But the kindest thing you can ever do is set somebody free so that they can find the person who's right for them. For me, the the step that is most important at this stage of where I'm at is actually getting back out there because Mm -hmm. it's a little bit like double Dutch where I've been like just sitting, you know, you, when you see little girls play double Dutch and there's always like that one girl who's just rocking back and forth and not jumping in. Um, that's been me. (laughs) I'm just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get back in. I'm afraid. I, you know, I don't in real life. I just don't meet that many guys that are single at my age that are like desirable. Mm -hmm. And so it feels like, how would I even start that? You know, I went to this conference this weekend where I wasn't just a presenter. I was also participating and, um, I was surrounded by the most gorgeous men they're all gay um, or married and have been married and have been married since they were like 22. Um, you know, the guys who have been married since they were 22 are some of my best friends in the world. Like men and I get along real well. Like I have some amazing relationships with guys. Um, but I, I literally, the joke is, Hey, like how long have you been? Oh, since you were 22, huh? Um, and so I think that's the, I feel like I missed the time to jump in and the ropes. And so I'm like kind of pouting over in the corner trying to figure out how to how to get in when there's it doesn't feel like there's that many people I want to skip with. Oh, honey, do you want children? Yeah, I do. So what are you doing? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, seriously, Sarah, have you thought about what's going to happen if you don't get out there and figure this out? I mean, I kind of feel like I'm there. I feel like I've already missed that window, you know? Uh, Would you honestly waste that time you have? I mean, you do have time. I know it's probably true, but part of my brain says, like, you already missed that chance. I know women who have gotten married and had babies by 40. Mm-hmm. I know people who have made this happen quickly once they set, once they really get their minds straight. And set the intention of it. Oh, my God, yes. Of course. I guess I just feel a lot like I, um, by choosing the wrong men and being in relationships for maybe too long with people who weren't, or maybe not even knowing what my goal really is. You know, you asked if I wanted kids and I said, yes, and I think I do, but I don't know that I do, which I probably should have figured out by now. See, this is, I just want to say to anybody who's listening to this, this is what I encounter all the time that people don't get clear about this. I know there are millions of people out there I talk to women every single day who have focused on their careers at the expense of their love lives. And for many of them, Sarah, I don't, I'm not including you in this, but for many of them, their love life was, was way more important than their career, but their career was the one thing they felt they could do something about. 
they had control over their career. They don't, we don't. That's have, me. Yeah. We don't have control. Of, well, we do have way more control than we think, but most people don't understand how to control the dating process. And so they just don't, like you, they just don't do it. I think it's just, I, I've watched too many Disney movies and I think it just happens. And so I, I always joke that I am currently living my plan B. So my plan A, of course, was to like find the partner, do the thing, um, me continue to speak, them be part of that, whatever it might be. And then not always have to be the sole breadwinner, the one who's figuring out everything to do with the uh, household, all that kind of stuff. But then no, that person didn't come along or that person didn't come alongside. And so I feel like I'm living my plan B. And it's so funny because people will say to me, well, didn't you want to get married and have kids? I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't like just happen. It just didn't happen for me. You know, the truth of the story is that I don't crush that often. And when I do, I fall hard, which is the anxious, right? The anxious and avoidant They, I find what I, you know, I've vetted them before I've even gone on date one with them. So if I go on a date with them and I really, really like them, and I think that's not necessarily a healthy place to start from, um, which I changed a little bit this year, which is how I went out with a bunch of people at one point. Um, and even though I wasn't sure I wanted to date any of them. And I think I have to challenge myself to do that again. But Sarah, it's just, you know, I'm sitting here listening to this extraordinary woman and it's so amazing to me. It's so, it just blows my mind that you could achieve such amazing things in your life. And if, you know, you're, you're, you broke a mold, you're out in a, in a, on a landscape where nobody else is. <laughs> right. And you're, you're standing there and you don't have partnership and it's not because you can't have it. It's not, it's available. It's just walking through that and making it a priority and putting, applying yourself. So, you know, I don't know if you believe this, but, you know, I believe that we are the sum total of the choices we make. Yeah. And that where we are right now in this moment in life, look, you're talking to a woman, right? Who men didn't love me. I was completely shut down, right? Like when I did this, I was completely shut down. I married the first man who paid attention to me and he was a pathological liar. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, and I was with him for 13 years because I was so afraid to have to go out there and date again. And I finally, my fear of him leaving me was so huge that I figured I had to get my life together. And I started to really look at myself. And when I did, I wound up leaving him. Mm. I just started to, I was in the dark room and I started to put the pieces together and I realized it really hit me that my life was a story that I was making up and that I had a choice. I could make it up really good or I could make up a really bad story. That's so funny because that's literally my work and yet I can't apply it to myself. Yeah, <laughs> that's so funny. Well, I got it. I got it. And I said, if I'm going to make up a story, I'm going to make it up good because I got a hell of an imagination. Mm -hmm. And so I left, I, I woke up, I left my ex-husband. And when I got out of the marriage, I said, he's got to figure out why he does what he does. But I have to figure out why I picked him and why I stayed with him for 13 years. Yeah. So I just looked around and I said, look, 
you got to figure this out. You got to get over your big bad self. And if you want this, the internet dating was just starting. And I just said, look, this is the answer to all your prayers. You can go on as Mm -hmm. many dates as you want. You don't have to sit there and wait for men to ask you out. You know, you can put yourself up there and you can do it. And I went on almost, I went on 96 first dates before I met my, yep, before I met Benjamin. That to me sounds like literal hell. And that's, I think, the place where I have to get some tenacity and some like, like first dates for me are brutal. Um, I don't know how to like, (laughs) like end it and be like, yeah, this isn't working. Good night. Like I will spend time with this person. I will find out their story. I will like, (laughs) cause it's, it, for me, it's almost like a pastoral experience where I just want to like make sure they feel seen and heard. Um, and so I am awful at, I guess I'm not awful at first dates, but I definitely, um, it's such a fear. Like I have a friend who's uh, actually doing their wedding. I met with them yesterday. And she went on 115 first dates. Good Lord. That sounds like- Did she meet somebody? She met a guy, yeah. But she met him because he had never gone on Bumble at all. He turned it on. Uh, The moment he turned it on, for whatever reason, they found each other. And they're super excited about their future. But it definitely, uh, I was like, could I have his story and not hers? Because I, uh, the overwhelmingness of like, especially because my schedule is so busy, like figuring out where to meet up with someone, which if I really want it, I have to figure out how to clear my schedule. But also I can tell you like, it's, it's the willingness. Mm. It's the willingness to put yourself out there and then God will bring this person to you, but you don't get to decide when and where and how this person shows up. That is in the hands of God. Mm. You know, so when I think about my work as a coach, I think, Sarah, about how, you know, my job is helping people get out of their own way and create more possibilities. Mm-hmm. That's what I do. I help people get out of their, their own way and, and open themselves up to possibility. But that's what you have to do. You have to stop telling, you know, that's what not you, but, you know, your listeners, all of us, we have to stop telling these negative stories. And then... You know, my husband, I don't know, you know, if Jen told you, but my husband is literally like, this is the most incredible human being I have ever met on the planet. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know of a better person than Benjamin Shield. He is an, a really, and, it, and I think every woman sh- or every person should talk about their partner the way I talk about Benjamin but he's, you know, the most extraordinary human being I've ever met sat down in front of me on a date. And that same night, he went home and took his profile down. And we've been together for the last 16 years. Mm. You know, so ma- the magic happened. The Disney fairy tale happened. But I had to get out of my own way so that it could happen. That's super helpful. I think I needed I needed that pep talk to turn back on the... <laughs> all of the uh, apps and try again. It's just been, you know, I think I know that I need to move past pain in the past. And the only way to do it is move past pain in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been kind of like scrunched up in the corner, not sure how to move forward. So I really appreciate that. That's really helpful. I'm so grateful for you chatting with me. I'm so, um, 
I got a lot to think about for sure. What are, if you were just having a chance to just chat with um, our listeners, for sure, you feel like getting a coach is a great way to go. And I'll have all your website information up so that if um, that's something people are able to do, um, I hear she's amazing from uh, my friend, Jen. Um, <laughs> but what are some tips that you would say if that isn't something someone can do? What are what are the top couple of things you would say people need to do? The first thing is read attached because okay. I think that, you know, I've been doing this work for 16 years and of all the books I've found that really look at relationship dynamics, this book talks about what goes on, like why we choose the partners we choose, why, you know, why we're wired the way we are. Um, and what's so beautiful about it is it doesn't, it doesn't like label things as good or bad or right and wrong. It just says, this is how it is. And this is why it is. So it will help you look at why you've done certain things in relationships. Um, it'll explain it without putting any um, labels or, you know, anything guilt on you for, it'll take away the guilt. So I love this book. People, my clients say it's life-changing. It's um, so good. I, yeah. It, oh, good. I'm glad you like it. And then there's a, um, I have a Facebook group that I think is fabulous. It's a free group. It's private. So nobody sees what you post. Mm. You can join in the conversation or you can just sit back and look at the posts and read them. I have had many, many, many people write to me and say that because of the group, they met their significant others. They were really able to learn about what's going on in dating and really glean um, a lot of what to do and not to do just from hanging out in the group. So the group is called Dating Without Drama. If you ask to join it, you need to put um, that you heard me you know, on Sarah's podcast so that we're sure to let you in. Yeah, make sure you put heard it on Sonderlust. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And um, you've got to just get, a, you know, dating is important, but if you're not making changes, if you're not, so what I would do, and this is a, the, you know, a very simple thing. Um, one of my, my teachers, one of my spiritual teachers was a man by the name of Don Miguel Ruiz. And Miguel wrote a book called The Four Agreements. It's a very oh, yeah. lovely book. Um, and many, many, it was wildly popular. Many people love it. And so in this book, there are four agreements. Very simple, but profound. And one of the things that I would do is, because he was my teacher and I was dating as I was working with him, I would apply these four agreements to my dating. So I would pick one agreement at a time, just one. And for a certain amount of time, like, for example, one agreement is um, don't take anything personally. And there's, as Sarah has pointed out, there's a lot to personalize about the dating experience. And so I would use this book and I, and these, these four agreements and I would practice them for like a month or two at a time. And that would be the way I started to transform my dating and my relationship to men was through the lens of these four agreements. I love it. Hey, I am so grateful for the work that you're doing. I'm so grateful that I got to chat with you. Um, I may have to think about coaching. Yeah. Um, it's as scary as that sounds. Uh, um, but thank you for sharing. Dude, that sounds so scary. Thank you for sharing yourself with me a little bit and chatting with me for so long. I really appreciate it. Oh, it was my pleasure, Sarah. I, I really, really loved it. <laughs> 
Ah, uh, me too. I hope to talk to you soon. You too. All right. So when I started this whole Sonderless journey, I promised you guys that I would try new things and that I wouldn't just go with what I understood or what seemed right to me. But I have to be honest, this whole tarot card reading and also talking to a dating coach seem way outside of my comfort zone. But my comfort zone isn't exactly working for me. As I work to get rid of Sonderless, I'm realizing more and more what an amazing life I have and how much I look forward to sharing that with someone. So after the call, Lisa let me know she was interested in coaching me in dating, but I still wasn't completely sold. So she gave me 24 hours to think about. I think part of me was afraid of the commitment and the level of vulnerability I would have to use to be part of this dating coaching stuff. So I took 24 hours and they were really busy 24 hours. In fact, I was meeting with a bunch of couples that were preparing to get married, working on their services. Weddings are all around me lately. As I got home and I prepared to type the email, something really funny happened. And I don't know if it was a divine edging or maybe perhaps a little bit of a push from the Holy Spirit, but as I opened my phone, I did my usual thing and by habit, I checked my Instagram. I like to check in and see what my friends have been up to. And there it was, the first photo. A photo of one of my ex's girlfriends sporting a brand new engagement ring. With the caption that my best friend has said yes, to now, forever, and always. And while I'm so excited for him, he's incredible and deserves the best. It was a reminder to me that that's something I want in my own life. And maybe I'm gonna have to be more intentional about it. It's not just that I wanna get married, it's more that I want a best friend who's excited about now, forever, and always. So friends, I did it. I signed up to be coached in dating. I don't know if it's crazy, I don't know if it'll even help, but I promised you I'd try new things. So, wish me luck. I'm getting back on that dating horse. Sonderless the Podcast is hosted by me, Sarah Heath. This episode was edited and mixed by Chad Michael Snavely and the team at CM Studio. To find out more about them, visit cmstudio.co. Sonderless website was created by Alex Maldonado. The theme song was written and performed by Daniel Roberts. You can visit us anytime at saunderlessthepodcast.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for updates and exclusive content. If you like the show, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Most importantly, leave a review. It's a great way to spread the word and help people find the show. So until next time, thank you so much for listening and keep looking for your bliss.